Our family's always been in podcasting. We're America's most sweltering podcast, the pod people. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and if I have any more fun today, I don't think I'll be able to take it. Howdy, folks. I'm Ben of Ben Sheets' Gasoline and Meats Emporiums. We got gasoline, gasoline accessories, and all kinds of meat. Every kind of meat. Every single stinking kind of meat imaginable. So do you have, like... Yes! Wow. Hello, everybody. I hope you're doing well tonight. My name is Cleveland Mosier, and, uh, well... I'm just happy to be here and happy to kickstart the generator on this podcast. Well, we're all happy to be here because by some miracle, we've made it three years. We're three years old. Three-year-old pod boys. We're little babies running around and breaking things and shitting everywhere. And you, dear listener, have stuck with us through all of it. <laughs> through all of the shit. I, I'm i sorry. I had a, a much more smooth opening, but I can't get over the fact that we just sat and watched my cat, Minnie, just stone-faced eat a whole tumbleweed of Cleveland's dog's hair. Yep. Yeah, and she got mad when I tried to stop her. Yeah, she I, wolfed it down, like just stone-faced, <laughs> glared us down, and she just wolfed that, and this now, whole ball of piglet hair. And now she's given herself a bath like it's nothing. Like, we didn't just witness the most horrifying... Heinous. <laughs> heinous thing. <laughs> I, I'm kind of in shock. Anyway, this week... We well, watched something less heinous. Yeah, <laughs> truly. Um, well, as we typically do for our Podiversary episodes, this is part one of a two-parter on an original versus remake. And this year, I'm very excited that we are covering The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974, directed by the legend Toby Hooper, and uh, starring a whole bunch of great people like Marilyn Burns, Edwin Neal, Alan Dan singer Paul A. Partain, William Vale, Terry McKinn, Jim Sidow, and Gunnar Hansen. And uh, this is the story of a group of friends who fall victim to a family of cannibalistic psychos in rural Texas. This is, I think it's no secret, one of my favorite horror films, one of my favorite films of all time, and arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, slasher horror it films of all time. It is definitely in the canon of classic horror movies, and I think it really jump-started the whole slasher subgenre as a whole. It's damn good. Yeah, well, this was your first time watching it, Cleveland, right? Yes, sir. So I got to know, I got to get some of your your gut reactions uh, right off the bat. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> this film's heavy. It, it is not outdated in that either. Uh, it is still heavy. Modern viewers are still welcome to beware. Uh, it is gratuitous. It is just gut-wrenching and unsettling, and, and frankly, I am just so confused as to why people act like Saw was the first fucking movie to be gratuitous. I see films like this, and it's just it just blows my mind. This film is, is outrageous, still. Yeah, I was mortified watching this film. Just masterfully shot, too. Uh, forgive, I'm, I really 
really am just coming hot off of this and, and I'm still just stunned and staggered by it. Of course, it's been on my list for a very long time. But hot damn. And of course, I'm, I'm familiar with Leatherface. Like, uh, who isn't? Uh, it, it's impossible point, yeah. not to be. Even me, you know, notoriously living under a rock. I wonder just how many of its influences actually do a better job than the original. The horror dinner sequence, you know, like, uh, has sort of become like a, a trope and like haunted house Oh, you mean how many things it's gone and on to influence? That is yes, influence. like slasher yeah. films and like the being chased by the monster, like, sequence at night where it's always right behind you. Like, that that sort of, that those those hallmarks, those those tropes, uh, or those things that have become tropes. Honestly, like, this film does it so well that I never felt like I was watching something I'd seen before, even though, like, so many films have gone on to, to ape this movie's, like, successful traits. Yeah, my next question for you going off of that is... How did this compare to what you expected? Because obviously at this point, Leatherface is a very known figure in horror pop culture and the horror canon right up there with Michael Myers, uh, Freddy Krueger, Jason, all of these others. But the first time I saw this movie, I was not expecting the like degree of of like really masterful filmmaking and also just like how not like all the other Leatherface stuff I had seen it was. So like yeah That's it was- so interesting your perspective since you had seen other Texas chainsaws from the sound of it before I, I still haven't seen before any the original because this is the <laughs> o- well I've seen Texas Chainsaw two after I've seen this. The only other Texas Chainsaw that I had seen uh, before this one was Texas Chainsaw 3D, which is terrible. I saw that in uh, high school and then saw this one for the first time when I got to college. But my, my question to you stands, Cleveland, like how, how did it compare to what you expected going in, knowing like Leatherface but not really knowing this film? Oh, uh, honestly, uh, even still miles above. I was expecting, like, a 70s slasher film with a good deal of, like, horror house gratuity. My knowledge of the narrative uh, was pretty limited uh, as well. I just knew that there was a spooky leather face. You know, there's a man who who wore people's faces. Yeah. And uh, And has a chainsaw. Yeah, and and something to do with, like, potentially being part of, like, a larger family. I was aware, like, tangentially of of that uh, aspect. Spoilers. Uh, Also, like, if if you have, uh, like me, managed to miss most of it, you're lucky. Go go watch it with with less knowledge. Like, you'll have an amazing time. And then come back, uh, and we we can have a little chat. But... To carry on, for those who haven't, uh, or who have, or are just stick- still sticking around and uh, not listening to, to my my very wise wisdom, uh, which is fine. Uh, follow your dreams, listen, dear listener. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I adored it. Fuck, man. Uh, forgive. I, I wish I could I could give like a more like eloquent response to what were my expectations. But uh, my expectations were pretty middle of the road. Okay, I knew that like we picked this for the three-year anniversary for a reason. Right. Like, so I figured, okay, it's clearly very good. Uh, I went in expecting to be well shot and, you know, to have some gratuity in it. But the measure of it was very surprising to me, which is interesting because really like the, like, quote, like the ultra violence in this film is not too strong. Yeah, I I was going to bring that up. You know, you mentioned that there's gratuity, and I think that that's not even the wrong word to use. I think that in many ways this this film is extremely gratuitous, but in terms of, like, actual violence, 
a lot of that is done off screen. Implied, yeah. Or implied, left to the imagination. They don't show a whole lot. So in that sense, like... It's not a particularly gory film. There is, I, there I would little, call this movie a grimy film. Extremely. Yes. Yeah, like I, I've gratuitously seen, grimy. I've seen this film a few <laughs> times. Uh, I have to say, we watched this on Shutter this time, and this is probably the best print of this movie I've seen in the past. When I've seen it, it's been even lower quality transfers, which I think plays into the griminess. But what I was surprised about is. A lot of that totally carried over with the higher fidelity. I mentioned with Greasy Strangler how that's a movie that you can kind of smell and almost taste at times. And I think this movie is another great example of a movie so tactile and visceral that you can smell the slaughterhouse and the, the decay of it. And you can almost taste the sour meat the rot yeah the the rot and i think this movie is such a master class in really it's not pulling punches but instead a lot of it is the production design is doing so much of the heavy lifting that it really elevates the horror that is there because it leaves so much up to the imagination. Yeah, i i could not agree with with that assessment more. I would say that this film engages all five of your senses in like the best and also worst ways. As you said, you can smell it, you can taste it, you can feel the texture of things, you can feel the heat. If someone were to come to me and say, what's a movie that makes you feel like physically hot? This would probably be the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. No, it's starting to get cool now. We're getting into the edge of fall. You know, October is here. Um, but like, this is a this is a summer. This is a sweaty film. Yeah, yes. I, I took like a nice like fall stroll on the way over here to record, and this film just like completely rocked me right out of that pleasant <laughs> mindset. Yeah. Like, I am I am uh, well on the other side of that now. I've got I've got like. Yeah, seasonal whiplash. Uh, like, yeah, this film is just like, yeah, the raw heat of summer. Oh, it captures, like, that southern, like, humidity, yeah. like, so well. It's just, it's so fucking damp. It's just, sw- like, sweltering. Yeah. Um, you know, to go back to the the implied violence, it's funny. I was reading today, something I did not know, that the reason they did a lot of that is because Toby Hooper was trying to get a PG rating for this film. Yo. <laughs> 70s, though. Like, this PG-13 is, didn't no exist. PG-13. There was no PG-13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Steven yeah, Spielberg had to come along and, like, change that. This is, pre, this is just pre-Jaws. This is the year before Jaws. They were trying to get this movie a, a PG rating. Nope. They could only get, like... X ratings back when they still used X ratings. Yeah. And so they would make cuts and cut stuff out. And the best they could do was get it down to an R rating. And at that point, Toby Hooper said, okay, fine, fuck it. There's no way we're going to get this down to PG. And I think that's so funny because despite the lack of like a lot of on screen like gore and stuff, I find this movie extremely scary and extremely harrowing and disturbing and gross. Like, I cannot imagine how they ever would have gotten this down to what we would now consider a PG-13 movie, probably. Yeah. I mean, I I only (laughs) imagine a a 10-year-old going to see this and being scarred perfectly. 
minute for life. <laughs> from like the opening too. Like you get this great narration at the beginning about you know they're presenting this as a true story, even though it was not. Uh, you know, in the style of something like Fargo or Blair Witch, um, and immediately after that, right before the title sequence, you get this like montage of extreme close-ups of like a decayed corpse with these really horrible like nails on a chalkboard sound effect you know somebody's taking pictures and like that and then you you see this grotesque sculpture made of corpses like in the cemetery and we just sit on it for a really long time it's like yeah a 10 year old walking into that and seeing that within the first two minutes of the movie for me that would be enough i would have been fucked up forever i think yeah uh, one thing definitely to consider is that in the 70s like the cultural like perception of like the impact of film was different for sure so like hence they're not being a pg-13 rating like parental guidance was generally enough because like people were fucking scared like of like what movies would do to you the 70s was starting to see like the tail end of that like hitchcock had already had his his run of fun with with psycho and like the effect of that on cinemas but you know you do still see some of that and so i think like parental guidance you know, was was enough to allow, like, okay, you know, like my kids, you know, probably ready to see something scary and whatnot, and or yeah, but I mean, but these days, I can't imagine going into making a movie clearly inspired by like Ed Gein, yes, and being like, oh yeah, we're gonna make a movie that's for. The whole family. Well, they clearly misjudged how scary people would find this because they did too good of a job. They did too. Yeah, they did. They're going for a haunted house movie, and they did something way worse. People were were walking out of the theaters during like teaser screenings, like before they were even watching the movie. Like people were leaving theaters from trailers for this movie. After it was released, this movie was banned in a bunch of countries for like twenty five years, like Germany and like Finland and Denmark, and places where like you could not even see this movie until like yeah, it was one of the the more censored movies. Yeah, out there. Obviously, Cannibal Holocaust is the right. peak of that. But you know, in the '80s, especially, there was such a censorship wave, and this was a victim of that for sure. I want to dig a little deeper on the production design itself. Yeah, because oh I think gosh. it's such an element of this movie that you know cannot be put to the side because it's so front and center. I mean, the movie wouldn't be what it is without the production design mm-hmm. for sure. Um, One of the sequences that is my personal favorite, probably in all of horror, is in the house when the girl falls into the room of feathers. The bone room. The bone room, yes. Yes. What's her her name? What's this character's name? Pam. Pam. Pam, yep. And it's about five minutes of just cutting to different things in the room, essentially. Yeah, just, like, detail, seeing all the details. Like, they dress the shit out of this room, and it's just, like, from her perspective, kind of just, like, beholding one horror after another. We've seen in in films plenty of times the sequence where, like, the the, the protagonist encounters the nest, you know? And I I think that this is, uh, this shares many of those same aspects, you know? They fall into some sludge or something and look around in the dark. They shine their light, and they see, like the the horrible egg clutches and whatever 
um, Alien, Aliens, etc. Like, there are plenty of great examples in, in films. But this is so much of the same, where we, we just see this horrifying, like, central hub of all of this this terror that we've been building up to. All, all these little, like, these, these corpse statues, these strange, like, decayed assemblages. Art is not the right word. Uh, but, I mean, they, they are by, by intent. Just all made of bones and feathers mm-hmm. and skin and stuff. The pro- Profane made sacred. Yeah. Like, and... Uh, I mean, Ed Gein shit. Like, yeah. what, he, what he actually did. No um, doubt. That whole sequence is fucking incredible. It really fucked with me, too, because it, it starts with her, like, she's already, like, trying to get out. You know, she's running and she's moving and she trips into the room. And so our first shot, like, our first glimpse into this environment is her falling forwards into some strange texture that just immediately strikes you as wrong. And you, yeah. I don't know, and I couldn't tell like what it was, but it just immediately set my hackles up, and I very quickly realized it was like chicken, chicken feathers, feathers and yeah. like and 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 matter. And if you've ever like had to tend a chicken coop or like smelled a chicken coop, like that'll put your fucking hackles up. Like it immediately, like a whole room full of that is yikes, man. It's like, funny that you mentioned that because. Uh, all of those, uh, that that whole room was made using like real bones and animal parts and chicken feathers, and they obviously had that chicken actually in the room. So after you know, it pans around and shows us everything when she's just sitting on the floor like retching. That was real. real. That wasn't. Uh, I believe it. <laughs> that was not acting. That was her being re- truly repulsed and the smell of it. Uh, so, so you know and it's like the it's shot in such a way and edited and the sound and everything it's like you really feel like you're in there with her you feel like you can also smell it and you're also like desperate to get up and run out of the room so often in films when the editor sort of like takes a moment to pause and just like gives us like a, a sequence of shots we feel like the editor has like lost a sense of time there it's that that idea of like the anime moment in the middle of a fight where like they between blows they can yeah. like exchange a whole conversation time just goes out the window for the sake of like the plot but here it doesn't feel like that it feels like we've been brought along for this person's sense of being overwhelmed time has just slowed down to a snail's crawl as we are like horrifyingly panning around and it might actually only be for just a second a but it seconds, feels yeah. like an eternity as we're taking in all of these like horrible strange like decomposing structures fuck it's just rife with detail and again like we, we've seen like the killer's house like in in films so many times and like this this just does it so well it, it's just it's it's almost funny to me to to see like others so many decades later take it on and and do like so much less with it i think you make a really great point about detail i think this movie is like a a master class in diy or die indie filmmaking and the big thing with indie filmmaking is if you don't have the money to do big picture set pieces 
focus on the details you yeah. know mm -hmm. this is a great example of that you know you, you they didn't have money to do a ton yeah but they made the most out of the details of what they have and it adds so so much to the atmosphere of this movie Right. It is, it's literal world building. Like, it, it's craftsmanship. You can see the amount of time that was put into it. Like, there's little doubt in your mind as you're watching, as you're taken through each room of this house, that yeah. it's been here a long time. It's been here for, for ages. And not just because the paint's peeling, you know? Not because there's a cobweb on the wall, but because each of these decaying totems and such imply a, a, a great amount of time. They're the kind of things that just sort of like happen organically like when a horrible person would be living there. They would just sort of start playing with like the leftovers of their food, you know? Like they'd, they'd start trying to turn it into something. And, and that's that's cool. And we know, too, that this family sickness is a generational one, you yes. know? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. we, we see that this has been going on for a long time. And, like, yeah, the house really does feel like it's been there forever. And another like fantastic detail along that line is it's not just the house but it's like the surrounding area too i love when uh when kirk and pam like first walk up to the house because like the structure of this film is very much like these teens one or two at a time like going to the house getting <laughs> murdered and then their friends being like hey where'd they get off to um but when when uh kirk and pam are walking up the first time one of the first things they see before they get to the house is like this big ramp shackle shed that's got like netting over it that's like covered in leaves and pine straw and stuff and they look inside and we see that there's just a dozen cars just like parked there like overgrown and like gutted and stuff it's like yeah They've been doing this shit for a long time. They've been fucking snagging people and just hiding their cars out here in the shed, you know, just covering them. Another scene that I wanted to talk about a little bit is before they even get to the house, they have the, the first encounter with... Hitchhiker. The hitchhiker, yep. Yeah, I guess we should probably just start at the top and rip through the narrative, yeah. Like, it's yeah. a pretty simple one. So, mm -hmm. we've got uh, uh, Franklin uh, in, in the friend group, who, I mean... Oh, we'll talk about Franklin. And the Academy Award goes, too. I mean, come on. Uh, like, Franklin's it, amazing. It's so funny to me, because... The first couple times I saw this movie, I found Franklin absolutely insufferable yes. to the point where it like had a negative impact on how I viewed this film. But at this point, while he's annoying, I can bear him more. I love him. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's the thing. Like, I'm I'm kind of with you, Ben. It never hurt my enjoyment of the film, but like I always did find him so fucking annoying. But like as I've gotten older and as I've watched it more, especially this time, it's like, yeah, he's whiny and annoying, but also, I am Franklin. I get it. We are all Franklin. There's a little Franklin in all <laughs> yeah, of us. Yeah. Like, I find him so relatable. Like, obviously, that's nobody that I ever want to be, like, so obnoxiously whiny but at the same time it's like yeah he's stuck with his sister and their friends who and her friends who like obviously don't want him along he's in a wheelchair you know they just kind of like leave him behind his spite <laughs> is so understandable yes yeah. yes you know? truly and like we've all known that 
kid, you know, like in right. our friend group or whoever who like is like kind of dumpy, wants to tag along, you know, like whines a little bit too much at, you know, whatever is a little bit yeah. too picky. Like it, 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 that that friend is like it's a very believable person when you consider like, yeah, like he's like clearly like the younger brother. He's a little less aware. And also he's sort of the crux of the plot. Um, sort of, uh, yeah. And he's very central. Yeah, I, I liked that. I, I liked that uh, he's he's also like uh, in in some way like partially responsible for the the rest of the events, uh, which I like a lot. Uh, that uh, okay. And to to summarize them, uh, Franklin and uh, his sister is it Pam. Is Pam a sister or Sally? No? Sally, Sally. Yeah, Sally have an old family house in the middle of uh, nowhere, Texas. Yep. Or had a house, really. Like, it's an old family home that has been left to disrepair and decay. And so no one goes there anymore. But these these wily teens, you know, in their Scooby-Doo van, decide to, to go down for a trip. Well, they had heard their family members' corpses had been vandalized. Or their Maybe graves... Oh, the, right, right. The, There's the, that's the homework part of it. The, like, the so, graveyard, yeah. yeah right. where, where their grandfather was buried. And then so they go to their grandfather's house. Yes. Yeah, um, and there. like standard, uh, you know, like teenagers with a mission, you know, they're they're going to turn it into a, uh, a summer trip uh, where right. they can go, go find a cabin and go find a lake and bang. Right. Because that's, that's what it's all about. So uh, it works. And I, and I like I like it, too because family legacy is clearly like a theme in this movie and Mm -hmm. and so like franklin and sally like having like it being their family home ties that all together uh in in a cool Mm -hmm. way uh because assumedly we don't we don't really know the leather family or whatever the sawyers the sawyers like we don't know if they're in any way related uh, to Franklin or any of the rest, or they were almost certainly like the impression is that they're drifters, you know, and they came through the with next door neighbors. They're neighbors, neighbors. Yeah. yeah. They they mm. find they find the house because they're looking for the creek out behind Franklin and Sally's grandparents' house, and, and the creek's all dried up, and uh, they need gasoline and hear the generator. So yeah, the Sawyers are like just down the road from uh, Franklin and Sally's. Uh, grandpa's house Mm -hmm. that's our setup but we shouldn't jump past as ben brought up earlier the scene where they pick up the hitchhiker on their way to the house yes because i think that's such a great setup for the movie yes um because you know up until that point it happens very early on in the movie we shouldn't really say up until that point right but uh you know it it's Sets an unnerving feel to the movie. The hitchhiker that never lets up has such a weird aura to him. You know, he he looks like he's just a stinky, stinky person who. Uh, he's a weird drifter. He's got like blood on his face. Yeah. Oh, is it blood? I thought it was like uh like a like a like a birthmark. Like a birthmark. But later on, when he comes back, because spoiler alert, he's one of the Sawyers. Uh, he, he like it's like smudged. Oh, word! I think it's either a blood stain. I, I think I it's because it like like his cheek almost like folded around it. I thought like well, it's like was it, my imagine. This is my imagination, or you could be right. Yeah. It looks like a blood stain to me, but it might have been. It might have been. A, well, a, he was yeah, hanging out like outside of the slaughterhouse, right? Which you is know where they where they, they had commented on how stinky it was. You know, to the yeah. point where they rolled up all of the van's windows and went out of their way. The performance he gives is fantastic. It's so unnerving because he's smiling through the whole thing and giving these weird kind of clueless looks at everyone while he shows them 
just horrifying pictures of slaughterhouses. Yeah, he's he's yeah. the friendly simpleton, and right up until he's not friendly. Uh, and I, well, I, I love that Franklin calls yes. him a Dracula. He's a we done picked up Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's so true. And uh, and also, like, he sets a, a horrifying precedent very fast when he asks to uh, borrow Franklin's knife because Franklin's kind of like trimming his fingernails with a knife. Hold, hold that thought. Uh, also, I, I said it during the movie, too, but a uh, little little PSA. Uh, for all y'all out there, uh, don't trim your nails with a knife in a moving vehicle. Uh, well, just, uh, just food for thought, which which Franklin's already had my tension up. Like I'm just like, oh god, they're gonna hit Franklin's a bump in the road. Franklin's a nihilist. Frank- like- <laughs> oh, I was gonna say Franklin's kind of <laughs> simple, but yeah, you know maybe. Uh, <laughs> the drifter asks for his knife, and well, he and barely he- borrows it. He kind of just takes it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He just he grabs it out of Franklin's <laughs> hand, and after like wistfully stroking the blade for a second just like slices up his palm and starts bleeding all over the place. So it's like at that point, they should have pulled over right then and there, but they don't. Yeah, I'd have kicked him out the back. I was like, I was like, just like waiting. I was uh, like in my mind, I was just like shouting at the uh, the blonde guy. What's his name? Uh, uh, Kirk. Kirk. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, for Kirk to just like fucking kick him out of the car. Right. Like, moving or not, a guy slicing himself open like in your vehicle like like get him out of there like thumbs down for kirk man bad guy yeah kirk. well i mean i like, guess they're you can't, all just you can't, so... depend, you can't depend on kirk like you know he's the kind of guy like if you he tells to give him a handshake he'd fish on you you know what i mean like he just he just strikes me you know as a little bit like to, to kirk's defense i think that it's within the realm of belief that uh watching a weird hitchhiker uh with a knife cut open his hand in the back of your van uh might shock uh somebody into inaction yeah also because he still was holding the knife at that point also true uh and they had to get him to give it up but then he almost immediately pulls out a razor blade a straight razor that he's keeping in his uh in his uh shoe well then he goes to offer it to kirk and kirk doesn't take it he should have take it and kick him out yeah Yeah. let me i'll see let me see your knife he's like nah man i don't want it because I'm scared of knives or some shit. And it's like, dude, take the knife and get get get, get it away from this man. Yeah. Who's talking about, like, the best way to slaughter cows and, like, how to make head cheese and talking about how his family's always been in meat. <laughs> you know? And like, they have. And they, we find out. Quite yeah, literally. They sure have. They sure have. They have been in meat. Um, and, we, and also just, like, that bizarre part where he takes he's got a, a camera um a pole like an old a really old polaroid um great, great prop takes a picture of franklin uh tries them, to yeah. sell it to him for two dollars and when they refuse when franklin refuses to pay for it he pulls out a, a piece of tin foil puts the paper on it puts like some black powder on it and sets it on fire they just watch him like set that up too which is so funny it's like what dude what are you doing yeah, yeah. uh but like yeah it's such like a weird crazy thing to do and you know then they all start screaming because of the fire and he pulls out his razor and starts trying to cut up franklin so then they kick him out but uh 
they're not able to get away before he uh, smears some blood on uh, the side of their car. And what looks like a weird symbol. Yeah, they keep saying it looks like he was trying to write something on it, and uh, it's never explicitly stated, but, you know, it feels like he's marked their car. Um, yeah, or he's for, giving it the black spot. Well, maybe. for the for the rest of his family, you know, because they they do pull up to to mm-hmm. the gas station um, right after that. We're well into and past spoilers at this point, but I just while we're on this subject, I love how, especially the first time I saw it, they're like introducing all of these members of the family beforehand before we even know that there is a family and that they are part of it you know because when they're out at the house it's just Leatherface you know running around making squealing like a pig and bashing people in the head so it's like you can think at that point that it's just an isolated psycho, you know, out there in this house. But it's like then when she later after she's been chased by Leatherface and she goes back to the, the gas station, to try to get help. It's revealed that the old man there is is the is part of the family. And then when he's captured her and is taking her back to the house, they pick up the hitchhiker on the way. And it's like, ah, fuck, here are all these people that have been introduced and we're now like bringing them all together. I love the way that that's handled yeah and and it seems to radiate out into the town as well i'd hate to go without mentioning the the old drunk at the cemetery too like he just he just struck me as like such like a bloodborne character like just this this guy like like sitting in an old tire like drinking like while people are trying to go through the cemetery and looking at them upside down because he's slumped over yeah and the way the camera like gets so like like gets on the ground with him like when he like he he's like pulling his head back and he's just saying like nonsense about like how no one ever listens to the old man you know it's, because like the laughing fool knows all kind of stuff and it's it's perfect it just it sets such a great tone and it's that same idea of like the old hero like wandering into like uh, an evil town and like the old hag you know like saying something mysterious such... to him it, it just god it, it's such a this film does the hero's journey so well and each one of those characters um that we encounter because it sets that tone, we don't necessarily assume that they're all affiliated. We just assume that we're on a little macabre ride, and the way and so you 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 still don't expect them all to 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 culminate. And yeah. that opening sequence with the drunk, you know, sets such a latent hostility to the area. This movie kind of does what Deliverance does for Appalachia. Yeah, this does for you know rural Texas in that like. Every character encounter and small encounter you have sets kind of an air of hostility towards the outsiders. Yeah. You know, and it just really puts you on edge. I think, too, that, like, the way that the the youths act uh, through a modern lens will probably be a little, like, confusing to, like, younger viewers. Honestly, because, like, in, in our day and age societally it's it's a lot less common for you just like to to run up to old like southern houses doors and knock well yeah because now we've got gps on our phones and can call like if we run out of gas we can call triple a and shit like that exactly so, so yeah it, it it feels almost like a whoa don't go in that house you know like all, all of those moments like to me considering like the 70s like they all still feel pretty genuine like I, i'm never too but there are a couple of times where like like kirk well, you also Kirk, have to, don't go inside, man. 
you also have like, to consider sure, but... that movies like this set kind of the precedent for, for the don't future go inside, of yeah. like don't go in that in the spooky house mm-hmm. you know i mean it's it's a really to to use the the lens of history to examine this film it's like you know this was in the early well the mid 70s where the fear that had in decades before been projected outward at the other, the invader, is now starting to be turned inward. And that's why we're starting to see at that time the gradual rise of serial killer and slasher movies. And this one was like one of the OGs, you know, where the horror is your neighbor, not something that is invading from without, you know, it's coming from within. And, you know, last year for our Podiversary episode, we did the the foreign invaders with the pod people. And this time we're looking in our own back. We are the pod people. We are the pod people. <laughs> Hell yeah. Year three, baby. Yes. I think you make a great point about that, though. I mean, I think the 70s in particular had such a string of serial killers in the media in the run up to this film that yeah. it was part of the national consciousness, really. When did the Manson, Manson family? The 60s. Yeah. The yes, end, of the, at Manson, the end of the Bundy, 60s. All of that. I, Bundy wasn't until the 80s, but I think... Oh, cut that out, please. Um, that don't make me look stupid. Ed Gein. I mean, Ed Gein was from, like, the 40s. Like, Ed Gein was, was way back, but... Um, Zodiac uh, killer. Zodiac yep. in the 60s, and fucking, I think in the 70s was also um, John Wayne Gacy. Is that right, or was he later? I can't remember. I don't know. I couldn't I say. Like I'll say it later. with semi-confidence. Don't at me if I'm wrong. <laughs> the point Or stands. do. Learning opportunity as long as no, you're friendly. No, don't add me to scold me. I'll look it up later and know whether I'm being stupid or not our listeners are always welcome to reach out to us on twitter sure uh, in, in kindly uh, you know uh, that's what i'm saying yeah yeah be nice uh, be nice yeah. so yeah like this is this is like one of the films that like started that first wave of like psycho killer movies <laughs> sure um <laughs> that concept of of family uh, also makes for a slightly more interesting premise uh and and going along with that that i that concept of the decay coming from, or the the monster, the other coming from within. Right. That mm-hmm. our protagonists seem largely familiar with the area. They're probably only a town or two over. Right. Like they're not. They're right. not from. They're definitely Texans. Yeah. They're, they're not like. They're just not from through. New York City. <laughs> New York City. No, they don't. They don't get their uh, their salsa in a jar. They uh, they're still from. Uh, you know, I, they get their salsa straight from a horse's ass. Yeah, oh, my my 90s listeners will get it. But uh, yeah, they're still like Southerners. They're still yeah. like from the area. So like they feel comfortable enough in that environment that, again, I, I would I believe the way that they're they're like treating the old house. They're running around. My friends used to do that kind of right. thing where we'd find like old houses like and and, and dick around. Um, we did that up into high school, dog. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Visiting a home after, too. Yeah. Like, it's cool to see, like, all those decayed buildings and stuff. And I, and I think young people, like, naturally, like, seek that sort of adventure out. And, totally. Uh, so it, it's quite fun to see, like, yeah, like the, the, the high school college kids, like, go off uh, and do that because, you know, like, we all did the same and, like, often, like, made, like, a family trip of it. And uh, so, you know, they're, they're running down to find the swimming hole and they're knocking on doors and stuff. It all strikes me as very believable and very um yeah this is a film that is distinctly that feels distinctly southern mm -hmm. um which i really like yeah and i mean now like in this day and age too like 
it doesn't make the South look particularly Culturally. good. We're not doing a whole lot for ourselves anyway. There's, no, there's honestly, two kind of Southerners. I'm, there's Franklins and there's Leatherface. I'm about to say, I'm <laughs> which gonna, side are you on? I've got a pretty wacky take. I actually think that the, this movie makes the South look better than it actually is. Oh boy! Like, um, so uh, you're better off being murdered and eaten by uh, by invalid cannibals? No, 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 no. The the uh, because the protagonists are so trusting because our our protagonists who are also southerners like are going around and not expecting themselves to just be shot in the fucking face whereas like i for instance like would be going around especially in like this modern climate i wouldn't go a, a fucking foot anywhere near an old southern house like that's just a great way to get your fucking face shot yeah but the moral of the story is either. they do get murdered yeah they do yeah <laughs> like so they're trying to make it look good they're trusting nature. they're too trusting yeah and the moral of the story is don't be trusting in the south right and i'm saying they make the south look too trusting like they make these like southern kids look like too fucking trusting like, and like that be makes more careful look good well, in like a naive, innocent kind of way. Okay, I think we're I think we're reading too far into this. Just, just in like a naive, innocent kind of way. But like, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, like now hashtag not all Southerners are I don't know leather faced murderers or whatnot. Yeah, uh, well, only well, some just of like us. not yeah, all but, Appalachian people are uh, yeah. inbred banjo <laughs> players. But yeah, no, that, that's that's what I mean by that. Is like like the monster can be anywhere, but like you know we, we we judge the film like by in that sense by the protagonists and how they act and. They're they're very, they're dumb. They're dumb kids in the in the true in the true yeah, slash who, who wish and mean well. And, and yes. that's and, and that that's I guess the part of it too is like uh, a, a lot of slasher movies with the dumb kids. They 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 in some capacity deserve to die. Whereas these kids don't. I don't think like they're they're kind. They're not they're not bad people. They're well, just, they're they're just young and to up. Franklin. But that's about it. Oh, but in a healthy way, believably, like, you know, so, yeah. yeah, like like Franklin will get over it. Like um, he's fine. Uh, Obviously abused physically and emotionally by the rest of his family, and like yeah, he's spending most of the movie running around with a chainsaw, killing people. Like it's not like oh poor Leatherface, but it adds this like interesting layer where, especially like the first few times he kills when they come into the house, he's almost like screaming in fear. Like he's bashing their brains out because, like, ah, who are these people who just walked into my house? You know, like it, it, it's he's a really interesting character, and also who doesn't have any actual lines. Fascinating, yeah. yeah. And he, he, it's such a dumb brute character, and yeah. To the point where, when you see his interaction with the rest of the family, you almost feel bad for a him little in bit. A, in yeah. a There's a sympathetic element. Yeah, he's very subservient, you know. Well, and it's also important to mention too. Uh, what and I I wasn't expecting this because I'd never I'd never seen much imagery of it. Is that Leatherface is wearing a very different face at the dinner table? Yes, he wears multiple faces in this. Yes, yeah. and that the, sort of like are like different. I guess he are different like personalities. Yeah, well, well at well, the dinner table, he's like the stand-in for the mother. Right. Yeah. So that alone, like I think I think also implies that there's almost certainly uh, they're all inbred largely too i mean so, like, we as we assume it, 
yeah uh, that's I, never stated, yeah but, uh, like yeah okay no it no no one ever stops and says like these these folks is inbred but like the context clues would indicate what with all of the sure. snaggly teeth and and uh physical deformities that they they're inbred and leatherface wearing a, a woman's face and makeup and like assuming a matriarchal role at the dinner table kind of leads me to think that like there is some real odd freudian shit going on with leatherface well some of that too is direct is like the direct inspiration from like Ed Gein who is not really a serial killer because he only killed two people, but he was a prolific grave robber and did weird stuff with the body parts and the skins, notably, like, make masks out of women's faces and, like, put makeup on them and, like, wear women's skin as, like, a dress. Like, there was obviously, like, some... He was severely mentally ill and was also... There was, like, some, some gender confusion there as well buffalo bill and silence of the lambs also based off of ed gein Mm -hmm. so uh but yes i agree with your with your reading of like in this film specifically where leatherface is like yeah he's assuming the mother's role at the dinner table so there's almost certainly like some weird there's some weird oedipal stuff and almost certainly to probably some like sexual trauma with the dad is is the other bit. I sure as fuck wouldn't put it past him. Uh like like the way like he beats them and all the rest of it. There's some weird some weird nonsense going on there that uh I don't want to think about any more than than just bringing it up. But it well, it I, does it does make you think that like the 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 role that the father has over him is probably particularly awful. I think the dynamics of the family makes everything all the more disturbing. Because the father goes out of his way to be like the son the, says, you know, he, you're just the cook. Yeah, you know, he the father he goes, goes out of, out of his way to not kill. You know, yeah, which I, he says that he takes no pleasure in killing, but he does very clearly seem to take pleasure in watching killing. And, yeah, well, and he's definitely sadistic, and he acts like he's going to the other room to, you know, not have to deal with it and then you see him in the next room watching the whole thing he, happen he's a murder boy yeah he's he a murder back in yelling hit her hit her again you yeah know, like it's that play with taboo right like it's it's that idea of like he he knows it's wrong that's why he gets off on it which like, is why it's all the more disturbing yes, right. <laughs> very yeah. much so uh and i i do want to clarify also that like while we were just talking sort of about like leatherface's little bit of sympathetic element he is also terrifying in this yes movie. absolutely so like that whole extended chase scene where he just comes out of the darkness and just like chainsaws the fuck out of franklin where R. he's R. just chasing sally through the woods and then into the house and then back into the woods for like that chasing has to last like a solid 10 minutes and it's like he's always just behind her you know and it's it's fucking scary yeah i think the way he wields the chainsaw is really well done i he, he almost dances with it you know, and that comes to a crux at the very end of the movie where he essentially yeah. dances with the chainsaw. In, in rage. In we'll, the, we'll get to that. Yeah. One of the better, like, night chase sequences I've seen, yeah. too. Like, uh, the, the lighting is perfect. It It is just ideal. It feels like really, it feels like a full moon night. 
Yeah, it's mostly like single source lighting too, so it's mm-hmm. still pretty dark and like grainy. Uh, and because of that, like single source, you get some like really cool shadow play that just like makes Leatherface look that much scarier. Like when he's running around in the dark with his mask on, like his eyes just look black. It looks like there's nothing in there, you know? Uh, really, really spooky stuff. I love in that scene too when she runs into the house for the first time and runs upstairs and and finds the grandpa who is just like oh, a fuck. decrepit like corpse of a man who the first time Yo, I saw corpse. it thought he was a corpse. I thought that too. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was so terrified. Like they they go up there and I I want to watch it again and 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 see like when when they they go up there the first time if those aren't just corpses. Well, because, the, the the grandma's corpse is up there and she's very clearly a corpse. Yeah. But like grandpa, he just looks no, because I even made a joke. I was I was joking about the corpses, like saying like, yeah, like get a little bit of coffee and they'll be up in no time. Like, like, because I, I I very often while watching the movie make the same joke every time about like when we see a zombie or something, be like, oh, mornings, am I right? Every film we watch, because uh, it's 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 not it's not funny anymore, and I'm I'm just uh, digging it into the ground. But anyway, uh, so I I made I made that joke as per usual because like they look so dead. Like, yeah. and the grandmother clearly is, but like, and I assumed the grandfather as well, and which is by design, like, For which sure. is why they focus on the grandmother and, uh, which is quite clever. That's a really nice sleight of hand. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just, Cause then you just see two corpses then for the dinner scene, <sighs> uh, which we've already talked, covered a little bit, but like when they start by going uh, to get the grandfather and carry him down in his rocking chair. You think they're just bringing down a corpse for a, a corpse for a ceremony. To the table, and then they they cut her finger and put it in his mouth and he starts like suckling on it like yeah. a baby. And it was not until like, like cause they, they cut her finger and they put it into his mouth and I was like, okay, yeah, it's still a ritual thing. And then, yeah, as soon as he started like moving. Yeah. God damn, my stomach like just, just dropped. Yeah, it's a, it's a very horrifying reveal that's how i interpret it the first time i saw it too is like i thought he was dead until it's like oh shit but it's like it kind of makes him like vampiric you know Mm -hmm. like he is kind of dead but like the blood you know brings him back a little bit later in that scene where they're like where they're gonna kill her and they're like let grandpa do it you know he was always the best at the slaughterhouse killed 60 cattle in five minutes you know um so like let grandpa do it but he's so decrepit that he can't even hold the hammer so they just keep trying to put the hammer into his hand and just like tried to like make him bash her in the head and it's just like it's at a certain it's, point it's like trying to get him to drop it on her head right exactly because he keeps dropping it into the bucket and it's like it's kind of funny, but in, like, a really horrifying way. It's, like, so macabre and terrifying. You laugh at it because of the repetition, but it's also sort of, like, holding you hostage laughter. Like, ah, oh, my God, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um, that sequence, yeah, just, like, really terrified the fuck out of me, well, uh, for sure. I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the production of that dinner scene because it's kind of like a notorious or famous story in horror film. Um, 
They did shoot this film on location in Texas during July and August during a heat wave where it was routinely between like 100 and 110 degrees. And during that dinner table scene, they shot that during the day, but it's supposed to be at night. So they had to put blackout curtains on all of the windows and they had no air conditioning, no, no electric fans. So it was like 120 degrees in that room. They were shooting for almost 27 hours straight. Similarly to the bone room, there was a lot of like actual dead animal matter and like real bones and like the the sausages that they're eating like started to rot in the heat so they had to keep taking breaks so members of the cast and crew could go outside and vomit because they were just in like this 120 degree like charnel house of like actual death like filming that scene which is all just like terror and screaming and blood and uh that sounds like such a fucking miserable time but i think it's one of those things that just makes the scene all the more powerful because of it because it's so authentic like everybody feels just out of their mind because they were it absolutely translates i think that family dinner table sequence is the most memorable sequence in the movie probably yeah it's the one i always come back to and it's one of the most influential you know sequences of the movie you know you could put a direct line from that to for example resident evil 7 you know with the whole family dynamic yes the game (laughs) Did they make seven movies? I think it just came out like last year, the seventh one. Oh, there are a lot. There are a bunch of them. That scene in seven is is definitely inspired by that. There's there's no question. I think the whole premise uh, is is largely, I think, inspired by that. Some of the the way the characters sort of flip back and forth between normal is is quite cool in that respect. But no, the the dinner sequence with all the horrible. But even even hearkening back to like I saw the devil, which we talked about not long ago. Mm hmm. Oh I, yeah. When they he goes to his fucking cannibal friend's house, that whole house I think is like a total homage to this movie and that like de- that dinner sequence where he's just like eating human meat, you know, just like at the end of this long table in this sort of like dark moody room. When you've eaten human flesh for an extended period of time, don't you get the shakes or something? You get uh kura. I have a crazy story about this, actually. Oh, yeah, you do. Story time. Okay, Tangent. so one of my friends in high school... Ate somebody? Was, Just wait. Let me tell this fucking story, Cleveland. Jesus Christ. Okay, so one of my friends in high school, uh, she was a little older than me, um, but one of her friends was getting married. They had a big bachelorette party in Vegas, and they go to the bar... One of her friends starts making out with some random guy at the bar. He's trying to get her to come back with him to his apartment, you know, but she part of the bachelorette party. So she doesn't want to, you know, ruin the party. She's not going to ditch her friends. Yeah, she's not going to ditch her friends for this. So she decides against it and they go home. A week later, she starts getting rashes all over her body. So she goes to the doctor. The doctor, you know, looks at her. He leaves the room. 
And about an hour later, he comes back with multiple police officers and FBI agents. It turns out the rashes actually come from eating human flesh. And so apparently the guy she was making out with was a cannibal. They had gone to his house and they found like 12 human bodies of women that he had eaten part of and just left decaying in his apartment. And she was this close to being one of those. Fucking Jesus crazy. Christ. Fucking crazy. But yes, you do Never get... Never go to Las Vegas, kids. Yeah, you do get rashes from eating human flesh. Which I guess you could argue the thing on the, the, the hitchhiker's face could have Maybe. been a rash. I think the last thing that bears mentioning before we rate this is... Um, I wouldn't call it the score. I would say uh, more of the soundscape because it's not really a traditional score. It's all just like industrial ambience. Apparently they didn't use any instruments, like music, actual musical instruments for it because they were trying to replicate what animals might hear in a slaughterhouse. So... The whole soundscape of the film is just, like, supposed to induce that sense of, like, industrial dread. I think it does it so it's well. It's very abrasive while never really feeling out of place, which is very impressive. Yeah, lots of, like, metal and, like, droning kind of machine-like sounds. It's, uh, it's really good. The only time there's actual music in the movie is when they're, like, in the car or in the van at the beginning and, like, the radio's on. Incredible sound design that, once again, just, like, adds to that layer of, of tactability and authenticity. It's just, like, immersive. Just completely draws you in. I would like to go back to a very early conversation we were having about uh, the use of violence in this film. Oh, yeah, sure. I did, I did have some other points uh, about that I wanted to make because I think this film is one of the best I've seen at, at conjuring imagery, like in the viewer's mind, from uh, the, the dialogue on. In the car, uh, the way Franklin is describing the killings of the cattle and uh, up through, like, Leatherface's killing, the whole time you, you really do feel like you're being told a story and it does make it so much worse. We really do just see, like, just the perfect amount of this house. And that we don't see Leatherface, like, hacking apart the bodies directly. Yeah. Um, and that we only ever see the fallout. We only ever see the the results. Makes it so much worse here. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, it, it is so much scarier than just showing you the gratuity of it. We see him cutting up um, Kirk's body with the chainsaw, but we don't. Like, we see him handling the chainsaw, but we don't actually see the dismemberment. What we see instead is Pam's reaction as she's like hanging from a meat, meat hook. hook. Struggling <laughs> yeah. off of it. Uh, and as someone, uh, I think I've mentioned before on our Silent Hill episode, I'm a big fan of Dead by Daylight. And so it was very fun for me <laughs> um, uh, seeing the 
the clear and present inspiration for that game I mean. uh, unfolding. I mean, like, there, yeah, there's there's no doubt. I mean, Leatherface is a character in it now. Um, but, I mean, there are many as well. But uh, it, it's cool. It, it's cool seeing, like, the like some of the inspiration for, like, the, the hooks and all the rest of it and, and Dead by Daylight. Yeah, me. I mean, that's a fucking uh, nasty scene where he yeah, hangs Pam up on the meat hook. While we're on the, on the subject of some of the violence, I love how sudden and abrupt it all is all of like Leatherface's killings and stuff, especially like the first time we see him when he kills Kirk, um, you know, we've got this whole slow part of them, like walking up to the house, looking around, knocking on the door, calling out, Hey, is anybody here? Kirk finds the, the human tooth on the porch. And instead of saying, let's get the fuck out of here, uh, you know, puts it in Pam's hands. Bad guy, Kirk. Don't like him. <laughs> Don't like Kirk. Um, but then it's, it's also slow and drawn out. And it's like, you definitely have like a sense of dread. Like there's something wrong here, but it kind of lulls you into a false sense of security that nothing like extreme is gonna happen and then like kirk walks in the house and he gets to that like red hallway that has all of the skulls and taxidermied animals on it and leatherface just steps out from behind the wall and just smashes him in the head with a hammer drags him in and then like slams that metal door it's all just like so sudden and over so quickly it's, it's just like, like a actual, trapdoor spider yeah, exactly just like a like a predator just like making a strike and then pulling and then like yeah like capturing its prey and it's, it's like the 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 setup you know takes takes like hours but the the kill is just a second and all of the violence in the movie is like that too you know like it's the same with the the drifter the hobo at the beginning when he like pulls out the the blade and like tries to cut franklin it's very sudden it's very abrupt same when pam and uh and van driver guy get killed you know it's it's sudden and when franklin gets killed leatherface is just there out of the darkness all of a sudden like we don't see him sneaking up on them or anything it's just like ah fuck yeah no killer cam here just straight to the kill and then even like at the very end when the hitchhiker and leatherface like chase her out to the road and the hitchhiker is just pancaked by an 18 wheeler just like so sudden it just happens and then it's done you know it makes it feel like more like kind of shocking you know because it doesn't linger on it too much it's like there and done it makes it feel more visceral that's for sure yes and then the uh the the very end of this film which i is maybe one of my favorite endings of a film ever with sally jumping into the back of this pickup truck that like comes along and narrowly escaping and just like riding off down the road drenched in blood somewhere between screaming and laughing and then Leatherface spinning and almost dancing with his chainsaw in frustration at her getting away like as the sun rises behind him is just it's it's, such a beautiful shot it's gorgeous Mm -hmm. like it's insane and it's so macabre and gross at the same time uh and they 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 ramp up the sound and like like duplicate it for the chainsaw or something and it has this weird like ethereal industrial like quality to it as well that that kind of transports you um 
And then to just do like the hard cut to black and credits. It's perfect. Um, we haven't mentioned at all the relatively short runtime of this movie. I think it's including credits uh, 83 minutes, something like that. So not even a full hour and a half. And it's, you know, we've already said it's a masterclass of so many other things, but also a masterclass of pacing. No Mm -hmm. wasted time, but actually allows you to get to know your characters, spend some time building up, and, you know, then everything else is just, like, really efficient, and it ends exactly when it should. There's not, like, a wasted bit of this movie not a not a scrap of fat on her yep no it's so true the, the whole animal is used <laughs> exactly it's the it's uh, a working title for this movie was head cheese so oh god yeah Excellent. gross right wow yeah is it time to rate boys yes all right well i'll start with my rating because um i kind of just said a lot of my summary anyway um, should come as a surprise to nobody. This is a perfect film. It has no problems, nothing that I don't like about it. It's a, uh, a masterwork of cinematography, uh, storytelling, pacing, sound design, horror, violence, all of it. Uh, it's a five out of five. Yeah. I mean, this is a clear, you know, classic. I think it's near perfect. At one point, you know, my only critique would be Franklin, but as I've gotten older, even that is more justifiable. Yeah, I think this is a perfect example of indie horror, and it transcends even indie horror to become a true classic. This is a five for me as well. I mean, easy five, right? There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, I'm I'm shocked. I'm staggered. I'm impressed. I'm repulsed. How can you not? I mean, honestly, like, yeah, it's it's a it's a nightmare film of the best degree, and I I I I now adore it. Uh, I I did I did want to I did want to note that I actually thought that the intro credits I, I forgot to mention this earlier were sunspots, like the decaying flesh. I thought they were like they were like solar flares. I've always kind of thought that too, and I think it's just to kind of like. Because the sun is just like bearing down on everything, this right? Movie. And to broaden so the scope hot, of it, yeah. and and also like that's also a theme in it. We have one of the characters. To, I'm sorry to get into this during rating, but we do have one of the characters yes. talking about like like celestial alignment, and like she's very into astrology, astrology and yeah. uh, reading horoscopes, talking yeah. about Saturn in retrograde, and, and that being bad for reasons. And, and yeah, bad and things the, are gonna happen. The little like the the little pieces of murder art. You know, and like, what does the sign mean? You know, like all of that is very into that astral idea of. of I mean, every horoscope she reads turns out to be right. Yes. So you know, you could you could argue that uh, you know it's uh, it is. Uh, you know, just the stars aligning. And well, it's, it's almost like the, the they macro... planned it in the script. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crazy, right? But no, there, there is something to be said about like the macro becoming the micro. Like yeah. the idea of like the sunspots and these solar flares fractalizing into and becoming just like decaying flesh, and that like and the, the sun too is dying. Like, and that's cool. Like, and it's it's really neat that you can you can frame such a simple movie about a slasher murdering some people and give it that grand sense and that grand scope. So yeah, uh, again, five out of fucking five masterclass. Yeah, well, uh, I mean that's a unanimous perfect score for Texas Chainsaw. It uh, joins. 
uh, its fellows in the halls of the Golden Pods, where it, all I mean, always was going to be. It was just a matter of time. Um, so I'm excited that we finally got around to it. I want to be clear, too, that I was really trying to be to be fair while watching this film and not consider it a five until I got to the end. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to rate this movie a five just because it's our anniversary movie. Just because it's a classic. Yeah, just because it's a classic and all that stuff. So, like, that that really is, like, coming from the heart on that one. Like, yeah, it's definitely an easy five for me. I mean, it's a classic for a reason because it's a perfect film. Mm -hmm. Uh, That kind of shit endures. Um, Next week... The remake that we are going to be discussing is the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which have any of us seen this one? I hate. I have not. No, me either. Um, so this is going to be interesting. I remember hearing everybody say it was scary when it came out when I was a child. I do know a good portion of the plot. Is it not the same as this movie? I'm not going to say anything. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. So next week we're going to look at uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 and see how it holds up uh, to the gold standard of the original film. Something tells me not so hot, but uh, we'll find out next week. Uh, Cleveland, who's our sponsor? This week is brought to you by Teeth Where They Shouldn't Be. (laughs) Double check. You don't want that. Or maybe you do. Who's to say? That's all. Teeth where they shouldn't be. Wow. Truly a horrifying sponsor for a horrifying episode about a horrifying film. Well, if you like the show, especially if you've been with us for all of these three years, thank you so much for listening. And the best way to give us a birthday present is to hit those five stars and leave us a nice review. I don't usually elaborate, but that does really help us like move up in the charts and like get our show in the ears of more people. So um, if you have a few seconds to spare doing that, uh, that would be a great way to help us celebrate three years. And don't hit those five stars with uh, one of the modern, uh, 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 prod pistols or whatever they're called what hit them hit <laughs> it with a sledgehammer happening? hit those five stars with a sledgehammer oh. the way you're supposed to it's cleaner i guess yep. um you can follow but you can enjoy it more <laughs> you, you can follow us on twitter at pod people pod and you can also check out our letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash pod people pod you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes and you'll also find the list of the golden pods where texas chainsaw uh now resides with its brethren you can follow me on twitter at deep state I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio as we put out further progress on its stairs back. And I did tweet this week. You I did. tweeted on Screenshot Saturday about uh, our one of the cool cinematics that we've been working on because we do cinematics too around here sometimes and uh cool yeah keep your eyes open because uh there are going to be some neat announcements in the hopefully pretty near future it's looking it's looking good things are looking cool uh, you can also find my work on ArtStation under Cleveland Mosier. I'm uh, doing a lot of work for Dread XP these days, so check out the Dread X Collection Volume 2. 
uh, for some more of my cool work, as well as uh, soon to be the volume three. We've been putting out some cool art, and we've been putting out the, the work of some of the devs who are working on this one. And oh my god, there's some cool content in this game. But that's enough for me. All right. Well, thank you as always for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, stay cool out there, folks. 